Oh, such a pleasure. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your patience, everybody who was trying to scramble with me. I restarted. And anyways, it's not good morning for you, though. You are in Switzerland. So it is 4 p.m., correct? Yes, it is. Wow. How was your day? Did you have a good day? Good. Good. Rolling very well. Friday. So all fine. Yes. Oh, today's Friday. Yes, Happy Friday, is. everybody. That's yes. wonderful. <laughs> um, so the way that this is going to go, I have a lot of oncology nurses that are very excited to hear you talk and a lot of oncology physicians that are excited to hear you talk. Cool. But a lot of these people have family members that have cancer or, you know, people with cancer are going to be listening to this. So I feel like you have such unique perspective that you can kind of give advice and yeah. talk to everybody who's involved with anyone who has cancer. So um, first of all, I'll just introduce you and I've been practicing your last name. It's Dr. Martin Inderbitzen. Is that yes, correct? correct. Not, Can not you say Yes, Inderbitzen. Inderbitzen. Okay. Yes. So you are a neuroscientist and then you have now gotten a research grant to study mindset and cancer survivorship. Is that like a good way of summarizing? Yes, it is. So I'm from a background, I'm a neuroscientist, so I'm, I'm very much interested in how the brain processes stress and emotion. And based on my personal experience with my own cancer diagnosis, I'm, I'm getting into this topic. Okay, how can we support the mindset of people directly or indirectly affected by cancer to go through treatment? So that's yeah. what my work is all about. That's amazing. I've never heard anybody who really just focuses on that. And that is so important. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like it's kind of the wacky patient that I've had every once in a while, where I had a patient once who had anal cancer, and she was going through a very intense five weeks of treatment. And she said every day she looked at her hydrangea plant that was dying, and told herself that is my cancer tumor that is dying in me. And so mm -hmm. as she watched her plant die, she said that she felt like her tumor was dying and we were all kind of like all right you know if that works mm -hmm. for you but she mm -hmm. did really well and I feel like patients who are really focused who are able to not let that fear and anxiety control them have better outcomes and I think that research will eventually show that I think so too I, I like I like to say that that patients and I mean you know from your own work in the field they are like they're like two types of cancer like one that you have in your body and, and one that you have in your mind and mm. they affect each other. So if the cancer in your body goes like bananas and it goes really downward, then obviously it's very challenging for your mindset and vice versa. Like if your mindset is not good, it, it has a negative effect on your body because we know all stress is not a very good companion if, if you want to go through a chemo or do any treatment. So I think this, this, this dialogue or how you say this interaction between the two entities is, is very much key, like for a holistic approach to, to approach a, a challenging situation. And not just spiritually, but physiologically, like yes. your cortisol levels go up with stress. And so yes. it can negatively impact your cancer and your physical health. Yes, definitely. I, I, I'm just also curious to hear from you because I mean, you work in the field, you probably see that also in daily work. Like if a patient, has a certain kind of confidence. And I mean this in a positive way, like just the calmness and, and like you probably will see that they, they cope better with side effects, they cope better with mm -hmm. the burden of, of a treatment. And, and I think that is so much underestimated in, in modern treatments. It's just like, okay, here's your chemo, here are your pills, your infusion and just go. And, and it's just separated. I think it's, it's, a, 
it's a very, very bad approach. Yeah, and there's, I can think of two extremes, like one patient um, who lived like way longer. I, when I left, she was still alive and doing well, but she had gone through a few different lines of treatment for colon cancer. But she would be like, give me my Zalota and I am in my trailer to the national parks. Like you can, yeah. I'll do labs yeah. in Montana if you want. And I would be like, yes. you're going through cancer treatment. Like you need to be by the hospital. And uh, she was just kind of like, I'm living my no. life. Like I'll take my <laughs> pills on the road and like, I'll do what you yes. say. I'll do my labs. But I'm like, my life does not revolve around this. And I think now the more that experience that I've gotten, I'm like, she really had it right. That was, you know, do what your doctor orders yes. and the treatment that's, that's been shown to do, give you the best results, but like, don't yes. let it take over everything. You know, you don't have to become an invalid. Yes. No, it's a funny example because I had a similar experience in one of my treatments that I wanted to go to the mountains. <laughs> and I, I coordinated that actually with my oncologist here in the city that I could go there and I could do blood tests in the hospital, in the local hospital, in the mountains, and they would like talk, <laughs> talk with each other and coordinate my treatment. It was just awesome because I didn't have to travel up and down. And, and I think that's so, yeah, crucial to also see like, okay, what does this patient need at the moment? Like not just. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you the, probably the first initial response is like, Oh, that makes more work for us. Like, that's yeah. work for, you know, and I think it's great if as a patient, you're like, I'll find the hospital or I'm going here, there's yes. this hospital close by. So that kind of helps the care team. But mm. um, can you talk a little bit back about when you were first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and you talk a little bit um, in your tech talk and I saw you like commenting to some people like there really isn't a great kind of pancreatic cancer. Like when you Google it, there is not helpful, not supportive, not mm -hmm. encouraging information out there. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about how we as providers, that conversation can happen. And then as family members, how we can support patients who are stressed. And then I really want you to get into your project with the survival story. And mm -hmm. you talk about the gorilla and all of that. So when you were first diagnosed um, with pancreatic cancer, number one, I think the reason why most, if anybody doesn't know for pancreatic cancer, why most pancreatic cancers have a very low survival rate is because they're caught at a very late stage because there's not a lot of symptoms that can cue you in mm -hmm. that you have pancreatic cancer until it's late so that's why as you were saying you're you're you were told you thought you had three years to live after you were diagnosed is that correct well the internet told me that so my <laughs> doctor never i tried to nail my doctor on numbers and he was a very wise man he never gave me any numbers but of course you go to google and you you google around which is a very very bad idea when you have such type of cancer yeah. So yeah, I read online that the, the survival rate is really, really slim. And yeah. obviously that's, that's a huge shock to everybody and everybody out there who, who is affected by cancer knows how, how, how much it crashes you, how much it crashes your, your heart and your mindset. And so that is what happened to me. Like I, I saw them in the wrong movie, like many patients, patients are. Yes. I like that. And, I'm in the wrong movie. <laughs> yes. But the funny thing is like, my doctor also told me a story of another patient and somehow this story i think helped me to, to switch movies to like to say okay maybe this is the movie on the internet but maybe there is also another movie out there and and i can actually opt in like like tell myself okay on which movie do i focus mm. and i think that is was really was really helping me to, to keep my mindset up to say okay i I don't, I don't focus on the 95%, I, I focus on the 5% and, uh, and try to keep, keep my focus there. 
So your, is your doctor a man or a woman? It was, this time it was a man. A man. Yeah. So how did that initial conversation go? And what do you think that he did well when he told you that you had pancreatic cancer? You know, do you think he gave you enough data that it was a very serious disease? Or like, you know, how, what do you think he did well when he told you that you were diagnosed with this? He did very well by just telling what it is, that he say, look, it is serious. Um, but also in the same moment, he was, he was doing very well. So look, there are options. And um, in this sense, he was very empathic. It was, a, it was the, the surgeon, so it was not oncologist back oh, then. Oh, okay. Obviously, I, I had first surgery, and then we were discussing the results, and, and so I, I saw him first. And so he had to give me the, the results. And, and he was a very experienced doctor, still is. Like, and he was very empathic with me and say, okay, look, there are options, and telling me this story. And then it was a funny thing because as a scientist myself, I said, okay, can you please write down the exact like, <laughs> diagnose on a piece of paper? And, and he was like, yes, I can do that, but don't Google it. <laughs> He was telling me that. And obviously, if somebody tells you don't Google it, you're going to Google it. And like, okay, how long, how long did you last before you Googled it? Like, was it in your car or did you make it home? Oh, I, I Googled it in the evening, like mm -hmm. later that day. Yeah. And that was really, really bad. Yeah. Really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what I liked when he asked me what he was doing well is like he, he was like really – like being honest, not saying, ah, oh, it's easy, everything is gonna be fine, but also mm -hmm. like, okay, it's serious, but there are options. And, and I like that combination very much. How yeah. did he share with you about, you said that he shared with you a story about a skier patient of his who had done yeah. really well. And that, that's what, when you were first talking at Stanford with the survivorship series, that's where I was doing clinic at the same time. So I've been listening, but I was like, whoa, I really need to focus because this is important. Um, yeah. You said share the five percent. So you cut. You kind of present the statistics, and then um, what do you? How how did he tell you? Like, oh, but I have this other patient. Like, how were you inspired by that? And how did he bring that up? He was like, he was like, look, Martin. Um, it is it is a serious diagnosis, but there are different things you have to consider. Like, first of all, we catched it very early. And we also have experience here in, in the hospital with another patient who has a very similar diagnosis as you do. And this patient is doing very well today. It's like skiing in the mountains. And, and this picture just was sticking, was like, yeah, it just kept that picture. And, and I think he was not aware how important that small story was for me. But just, um, I think the reason why it was so good is because it was something tangible. It was a person. It was not just like we have a treatment A or B or there are a certain percentage of options. Like, no, there is a person which was treated in this hospital and this person today is doing fine. So it was very, very concrete. Yeah. And I think that's where, where the emotions are triggered. And like my, my emotion was like, okay, that's, that's like going to work maybe also for me. Yes. It's almost like when people tell you don't look at a car accident, then obviously you're going to look at the car accident. They say, don't Google it. You're going to Google it. But he gave you this gear and that was kind of where your mind was able yeah. to focus on like an image or a person. And it's totally. funny because I think on the opposite way, I talked about the patient who was, you know, traveling the world while doing chemo, but in the opposite, I feel like some patients, like one thing will go wrong in the beginning of treatment. Like maybe they had a reaction 
to chemo or um, their surgery got, they had an infection and their surgery had to be postponed. There, I think every person who works in oncology will tell you that there are certain patients where one thing goes wrong and then it, and then all of the things go wrong. And it's not just that the patient is producing it. It's like the system, like just one thing after another will happen for them. And we're like, oh, this poor patient. Um, and I think it is awful luck, but I also have to wonder as a nurse, I know at the beginning of a shift when I was working in the hospital, if I was really stressed and something went wrong, my mind, I remember I would catch myself saying, this is the worst shift ever. I am so stressed. I've never been this stressed. I don't want to do this job anymore. I can't do this job anymore. I need to leave. Like, and, and I would just be saying this and I'd have to catch myself and say, okay, that was like the first 20 minutes of the shift. At this yeah. point, I have 11 and a half hours left. So like, yeah. what's done is done. Let's reset. But I think that yeah. do you do you feel like with your research and talking to people that you that you've kind of seen that side of the spectrum? You mean that like once you catch a bad wave that it just goes downward and it's tricky to, to steer it around? Yeah, um, or that like people having the opposite of a good mindset where maybe that gorilla as you talk about is like having a little bit too much control and it's hard to get, how do you get back on track? I guess if you're, if you're a patient and you feel like you're in this negative spiral of mindset where the fear is overcoming you, like how do you, how do you snap out of that? Um, it's a very good question. It's a very important question because let's say the easy answer, and I, I think it's not the best answer, is, is like, hey, you just have to take it from positive and just be like, focus on something else. And and I think that has nothing to do with reality. Mm -hmm. I think reality is much harder and uh, reality is not um, a Hollywood story or a Facebook post. Reality is really hard. And And what I always say to people is like, give yourself the time you need to be in that space. Like, don't try to push yourself out of that space too early. And it doesn't mean like, hey, go home and cry for a half a year or whatever. Like just allow yourself to, to let that emotion out and, and like, and, and be sad. I mean, it's sometimes it's a big F. And so just be in that thing, you know, like, and, and then once this is out, then maybe you, you can slowly make small steps. And then I, I say it's a skill set, you know, it's, it's a skill to, to understand what do I need now? Okay, what is the small step that will like help me to shift my focus? Like what is something that cheers me up? What, what do I don't need? Like, okay, these people I don't need at the moment. I need space. I need, I need really peace for myself. And that is not something that you're born with. You're, you're thrown in to be a patient and then suddenly you should be like, okay, now I know exactly what to do. And that's, that's not how it is. It's like you, you have to learn that. And you have to practice. And in the end, it's a lot of practice, like mindset or what I like to, to call it mind setting, like, like mm -hmm. consciously setting your mind. It's, it's a practice. It's like, a, it's like going to the gym. It's, it's not something that you just turn on and then you have it. It's, it's really something. And that's a good news because it means you can practice. I mean, yeah. yes. How do you learn about that? Like if a patient, you know, you say mindset, how do, how do you get there or how do you practice? Um, get inspired by others and get inspired by others which are a little bit ahead of where you want to go. Like, like get inspired by people that are still in your reach but not like, you know, two kilometers away that are like <laughs> so much because then you get demotivated. Like sometimes people come to me and say, hey, Martin, look, 
I never could run a triathlon or whatever because they saw my story somewhere. And I say, like, don't compare myself with, with like, if this is too far away. Compare yourself with, like, where you want to go and find the role model that is a little bit in front of you. So you can, like, in a, in a, in a, in a race, you can drag behind them, you know. But it's not, if it's too far away, it's, like, demotivating. So, yeah. and then just study them, like, talk to them, like, see what they do, copy them, like, like see what works for them and try it out and, and see what works for yourself. Yeah. And then I think that's one tactic. Yeah. Okay. So, so you had like the skier was your person that was a little bit ahead of where you wanted to go. Um, and then, well, I wanted to talk more about how, pay, okay. So one of the questions was from um, an oncology nurse whose family member is very, just got a new diagnosis of lung cancer. It's very serious. And they're very stressed out and, and very anxious. And obviously as friends and family, like we don't want to see our, our family suffering, as you said, like the cancer of the mind or stress. Um, a doctor I work with calls it pain of the mind. Um, mm. How can we, what did your friends and family do well to support you when you were newly diagnosed or what, you know, before a big surgery or treatment? Um, what do you think that they did well? And then what do you think that maybe people did not do well? You don't need to call out any names, but. No, um, I think what they did well is is just to ask me, like, what do I need? You know, I, I like to compare it, like, when, when somebody breaks a leg, you pick up the phone and you say, hey, what do you need? Like, can I do a shopping for you? Whatever. And if you get a cancer diagnosis, that doesn't happen so naturally. And that has to do with, and I think one reason it has to do with that we are scared ourselves to ask that question or to confront ourselves. I mean, you as onconurses, you have more experience with that, but, but family members in general, they, or friends especially, they sometimes overwhelmed, they cannot do it because they're confronted with, with their own fear of dying or their own fear that I'm gonna die. And if they talk to me, maybe that will be triggered. So. Um, I think what is really a good approach is just ask people, like, what do you need? And the other thing my family did really well is they took also care of themselves because what happens is um, every, all the focus goes on me. So, okay, we have to take care of Martin. Okay, what is, but, but then sometimes we forget we also have to take care for us, like, like my mom, my brother, my dad, my, my closest friends. They're like, okay, what do I need? And and also make space for that because you can only support somebody if you are in a good place yourself. Mm. And I think that's also uh, something I can highly, highly recommend. You're like um, a little cancer Yoda, Dr. Martin. I feel like you just get it. Like you really understand the whole experience and what's so important. Um, so you feel like as, a, as someone supportive of someone with cancer, you need to ask first, what do I need? And then you need to go to them and say, what do you need? Yes. Um, what do you think about people offering specific things? I've always said, everybody says, oh, let me know if you need anything. But I like how you say it. What do you need? So that way it's, it's not a statement. It's, it's a question and it's interactive. Yes. And you can even make proposals, you know, like, uh, should I go shopping for you? Do you need a drive to the doctor? I don't know what, you know, make it concrete. And they will say no, if it's not what they need. And um, just like sending a message like, hey, just want to say hello, I'm here for you. Yeah, sometimes it works, but I think it's better. just like, hey, do you need anything? What do you need? Like, be concrete. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is, is, is easier for the other side to accept the offer. Got it. Yeah. But of course, everybody's different. So uh, obviously, you cannot generalize everything. 
yeah, that's very true. Um, I think sometimes it's hard if people say, let, let me know if you need anything for the person that, or the patient to say, oh, I, you know, I love this or that, because um, it feels like then you're asking for something. Yes. But, yes. Um, no, my you asked before, like, what should you not do? Yeah. And I, I think what you should not do is just, um, you know, when somebody gets into a situation like you are in a certain emotional space, and what you should not do is you should not um, approach those persons, this person, which is like, oh, you know, everything is going to be fine. Like, you should not project your own emotionality on their emotional space. Like, if this person is, like, very sad and desperate and hopeless and somebody comes, ah, oh, don't worry, everything is going to be fine, that, that can be a clash. Like, try to understand first, where is the person like ask like ask them how do you feel how is it and like and once you know where they are maybe you can offer advice but just like coming and saying you know you just have to eat carrots and whatever yeah. like maybe that is not what they were asking for you know they just wanted to have a hug or i don't know so yeah that is sometimes what is a bit tricky like i got so many dietary advice what i should eat and do and not do and and it's funny because I, I probably read more books in the eight years about diet than all of the people giving me advice. So it's kind of <laughs> like, yeah, thank you. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, okay. What do you have like a good uh, phrase for what you would tell? I feel like that's the number one thing. I'm like, people are going to come out of the woodworks and tell you what you may have done to cause it, what you can do to get rid of it. You know what their yes. aunt tried that worked. Um, do you have like a good phrase that you tell people when they start giving you advice? Like, uh, I always try to be polite, you know, yeah. I'm not just like, ah, oh, thank you. Yes, uh, it's a good idea. Or, you know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting into how you say, I'm a big believer of, of harmonious energy. So I know it comes from a good place. So, yeah. yeah so you I say, oh, just, thank you. That's a great idea. Yes. Like <laughs> or say, yeah, I, or thank you. I tried that. It was actually very interesting or, or you know, <laughs> yeah. It was very interesting. <laughs> That's really funny. How about um, doctors or nurses? Did you come across any that did that you would like go back in time and say, don't do that to patients or that maybe said something in a way that wasn't well received or do you have anything that comes to mind? Yes. First of all, I want to say that I'm a big, big fan of onco-nurses. And that's also yeah. one reason why I'm, why I'm here on this chat, because my experience is they often know much more practical things and knowledge that is actually useful for patients than the doctors. The doctors are very um, theoretical, very like, like they know what is in the books and so, but they, they have less contact with patients. They, they have less this emotional connection. And I learned so much from oncology nurses, like, okay, uh, how can I do this? What can I, it was just, um, I think it's an underestimated, really, really important resource of the healthcare system. So I learned a lot there. And what you should not do, and, and this goes now into the direction of doctors, is I think you should not give too early conclusions before you've checked everything. Hmm. And I had that twice, that um, in, in positive and negative directions, like once telling me, hey, the scan is all clean without looking at it, like without looking at it like in detail. Oh. And the next day we found, oh, it's not clean. Oh. Um, 
or the other way around, like saying, hey, it looks really, really bad. And it seems like we cannot have any surgery and, and it's like really, really bad. And then like a week later, we like, okay, no, actually we can do something. And so, you know, that's like really, you should never do that. Like if you, if you don't know, just say, we don't know yet. It's so much better than just saying anything. That's true. Yeah. I think that we know that patients get so stressed waiting for scan results. I feel like that's one of the number one things I hear from patients is like waiting to hear the plan if they don't have a plan to begin with or having a scan and waiting to hear the answers. It, in my mind, the patient is just like in mental and physical torment until they hear the results. Even if they're bad, they'd rather have the bad result than be waiting for the result. Um, so I think that's a really important note to really yeah. make sure that you have that finalized report before you talk to patients because yes yeah it's better to wait even and yeah. then what did you have any kind of coping mechanisms for when you're waiting for either a scan result or you know if you know you're having a surgery or treatment like how did you how do you cope with that um scan results my tactic is really like trying to distract myself until the very last moment like mm. Of course, once you sit in front of that door and it's like now it's your appointment, it's you cannot do anything. <laughs> it's just horrible. But um, yeah. until that day, I, I really, I really try to distract myself. I'm always saying, look, if I worry now, it just destroys my present moment. Like it has nothing to do with what I have now. So I will know in a week. And so until then, I just try to distract myself. And that's on a on a conscious level. Obviously, on a subconscious level, a lot of things go on. Like obviously there you, you cannot hold that back um for surgery i treat it very much like a, a race day like surgery for me is like really like i try to prepare myself physically very much for it like make sure that that i i, I sleep enough in, in before i eat well i do my physical activity and and if it's a big surgery and i talked once with my my surgeon about it i i even try to gain some weight before that like I tried to weigh like two, three kilos more so that like once in the week, 10 days after I have some reserve. Uh, and yeah, this I, there I, I take it really like a, um, how you say, a physical approach or a or sports approach. Like, yeah, that mm. helps me a lot. Got it. How about mentally? Like, and then I think, well, we can, I'd love to, for you to just like open the can of worms about your whole project and everything. But you talk about the gorilla being like fear and anxiety. Yeah. How do you cope with that while you're waiting for a big treatment or even, you um, know, just coping with, you know, care? you know, from my project, we were filming cancer patients all around the world. And I always like one mantra that I keep telling myself is like, they are people who would love to have surgery. Oh, you know, that's like, such a good point. I, when I'm like worried about the surgery, I know, hey, look, there are people out there that cannot afford it. They live in a country with no medical system that can do it. Like, um, yes, it's hard. It's risky that it can go something wrong, but I, I have trust in my team and, and I'm like trying to, to focus myself on this gratitude. Hey, I can have surgery. And then the whole storytelling around the surgery changes completely because it's not a burden anymore. It's a blessing because I know other people die because they don't have surgery. Mm. And so this is a, a very important mind shift, I think, that, that you can make. Like, hey, as long as I can have surgery, I'm in a, in a good spot. Like, yes. this is how I approach it. 
I don't tell patients this directly, but as long as there's something on the table, like you can still live, there's hope for you, yes. you know? And even if there's not anything on the table in terms of treatment, then obviously you can change your mindset and focus on comfort and being spending time with your family and all of that. But um, I think like with, in terms of surgery, I'm like, if you can be operated on, that means that, that the yes. hospital, that the doctors are gonna bet hundreds of thousands of dollars on you that this surgery is going to add years to your life and that you are going to have a good outcome. So like, I think, as you said, you can really take that confidence and say, you know, my team believes in me. I, I need to believe in my team. And this is, they're like, they're putting money on a horse basically that you'll, that you're worth it. Yes. This and also that you have an option. Like, like yeah. I have like some some weeks, like a month ago, I I had a scan result that was not so good because my my cancer got a bit like chronic. Mm. And first they were like, okay, seems like we cannot have any surgery anymore, and uh, we have either a liver transplant or that's it. And then you are in this space of like, holy cow, like okay, this is it now the end. And then a bit later it turned out, hey, we can have surgery, and then it's like. Oh yeah, we can have surgery. Like you know, that's like you know, that's what I mean. Like uh, obviously, I will be nervous when I have surgery, but hey, I can have surgery. It's amazing, you know. It's like yes, that's so like funny. always a, a way of how you look at it. Completely yes. Yeah. yeah, you're very fortunate to be able to have surgery. It means everybody thinks there's a chance, and thinking of it that way versus like they're gonna cut me open and like, just focusing that way. I think, as you said, it's it's so important. Yes. I want to read um, a quote from your TED talk because this was what like stopped me in my tracks and I was like writing down every word of this. Um, so this is going back to when you said, they said, do not Google this. You know, you're not going to find good news on the internet. And, um, and just talking about doctors, you know, saying if there was a very low survival rate, you said statistics can be wrong. You are not a number because your body is not a number. Your body is made out of millions of cells with uncountable interactions that no scientist can quantify. So your body is not in the internet and neither is your future. What is on the internet, unfortunately, is a lot of negative news. And then you went on to say, I will survive until I die. And in the meantime, I will choose very wisely how I use my time much more important how I live my life than how long I live my life, which is a great way of saying instead of, you know, focus on quality instead of quantity. But I think you said it in a, in a much more eloquent way. But um, I think I, if I could like ingrain that into every cancer patient that just found out they had cancer, I would like blast it from the rooftops. Cause that is just what I want to like sit down. And that's what I'm really saying when I say don't Google, when we say don't Google, it's like, don't Google and then take that to mean, your future or, you know, your outcome, basically. You know, you as an nurse, you can tell patients, don't Google your body is not in the internet. Yes. <laughs> and maybe that add-on is like, is like making a click with patients like, ah, it's actually true. If I find negative news, this is all based on history of other patients, of old treatments, of old history. It's not of yeah. now, where we are medically today and where the future is going. So don't Google because you and your body is not in the internet. Like you are not in the statistic yet. Yes. And that's really important too. I had never even thought about that, that the survival rates are five year survival rates and like how many that's... treatments have come out in the last five years. So we really don't have your accurate projected five year survival rate. We have historically, Oh, Martin, you're just blowing my mind this morning. Um, <laughs> yes, because I mean, uh, all the statistics are very old. They're like 10, 15 years old. Like the, the, the new treatments are not 
significantly significantly impacting the statistics yet. You will see that in five years or ten years. So they're always always a bit too negative. That's that's such a good point. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that actually. Um, but I but I have thought about how two patients who are maybe very similar in terms of age, physical status, everything, they might have the exact same type of tumor, exact same pathology, and they could have very different outcomes, like mm -hmm. completely. And we don't know what that is, why one patient will do so much better. I think there's research in genetics and genomics, and um, but I think a lot of mindset and, and stress can have to do with that. But I tell people like, and that's also for receiving advice. Maybe somebody, you know, had exactly your stage of breast cancer and did this, this, and this. And so if they give you advice, that's what worked for them, but you're your own person. And so, as you said, your survival rate isn't in the computer, but also like what works for you isn't going to be given to you from somebody else. You have to figure that out for yourself. Yes. You have to, to figure it out and you have to feel it. I think um, and for me as a scientist, that's a very new field that I also have to open myself and like, like this kind of, okay, maybe not everything is quantifiable. Like there are things in biology and in, in our existence, in our creation that, that is about feeling it and, and trusting that feeling, like, like trust your intuition, like, mm. and, and it's scary. It's scary to, to trust your intuition when, when we are looking for, for medical solutions because it seems like this is safe this is like a confirmation and this is going to work and and trusting your gut feeling is like it's yeah i mean where you get it from like but i i strongly believe that there is a lot of power in, in trusting your gut feeling like mm -hmm. to, to finding that connection with with your intuition and um again this is something you have to it's a skill set again like a sensitivity like to open that that channel Definitely. And in doctors, too. It's funny. I feel like I've heard at my old work more so them saying it's more of an art than it is a science, you know, treating hmm. cancer. And nobody wants to hear that. We were like, no, yes. I want the data. I want whatever's most proven. But it, there's definitely, you know, to both sides of it, not necessarily being so black and white. Um, but I definitely want to dedicate the rest of the time to you talking about your research and my survival story. So we've kind of set the stage where you heard about that skier. He really inspired yeah. you and you went on to where did you like you ran a marathon at some point during your treatment or how did <laughs> maybe talk about that and then launch into yeah, sure. my survival story and your research grant. So what happened is like during one treatment in my first chemo, I had multiple since then. I was like really desperate and, and it was a moment of getting confronted by another patient like, okay, what is this all about? Like he said, he just want to die. And I was like, oof, no, I, I want to live. So um, and back then my brother just started with triathlon. And so when I was, was in, this, in this hospital, like connected to my chemo, I was like, okay, the most crazy thing I can think about if I get here out alive is I'm going to do a triathlon too. And I was never doing any kind of these sports before. I hated running. I tell you, I hated jogging. I really didn't like it at all. Um, and so here I was and I picked up my phone and I just signed myself up. I, I was not thinking like twice. I didn't have a bike, nothing. I was just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it was the best thing like I could do in my whole life because it, it changed everything. Like after that, I was just, I, I never questioned if I'm going to do that or if I can achieve it. It was just a matter of how much time I would need. Like, 
And so I did that. And back then I, I wrote a little blog on the internet, mainly to keep my family members and friends informed. And, and this story somehow traveled in the internet. So this story somehow became a little bit mini viral or like people were like printing it out and bringing it to the hospital. And, mm-hmm. and then I, I was like putting one and one together. I was like, okay, I had a story of a skier and now my story became a story for somebody. So there is something around storytelling. And, and this is how the whole um, idea for, for my survival story started. Like I said, okay, what if we could cluster and document stories all around the world and then present it to the community, but in a digestible way, not yeah. long written text that you cannot digest when you're on a chemo brain, like yeah. easy content, like videos, podcasts, like something you can consume while you're in treatment. And so this is what we did. We, we, we went once around the world and we filmed cancer survivors all around like South Africa, uh, South America, America, Asia, Europe, like um, from very different backgrounds and very different cultures. And we just uh, wow. document it at my survival story. So if you go to social media or, or online, it's my survival story or my survival story.org. And there you find the content. And so we broadcasted all these stories and we got a lot of very good positive feedback. And so that was when my scientist kicked in again. It's like, hey, wait, if this is like having an effect, why don't we study that? Like, why don't we see if, like, can we, can we, in a way, quantify or observe that in a, in a more structured way to understand what is it that helps people? And so yeah. this is now what the, my research is about. So we, we, we present the story. We want to know how people perceive it, like, like what, what is triggered in them and how, and that's the more interesting question, how can we, design or tell such stories for for a treatment option like how can we include it in the system like how should it be tailored and matched to the the right story matching to the right person that that it has a constructive effect not not deconstructive so mm-hmm. we are very much at the beginning we're doing this research now since one year but okay. it's a lot of fun and it's it's very very exciting yes so what do you have a hypothesis that's official that you're trying to quantify or? Um, yes. What I observe is first of all, I think that's my, my hypothesis is like the human connection is really, really key. It's really strong. Like if you connect with the story, like not everybody connects with every story and that doesn't have to be. So once you have this connection, something magic happens. And it's, it's about making this human connection, like what makes us human again. And, and it was interesting because this can, this can go across culture, you know, like once we were in Malaysia and we talked with a, with a Muslim woman and she, she was a breast cancer survivor and she was like telling us, look, it's not my body. It's not my breast. Like Allah was giving me this breast and Allah was taking it away. The next day we interviewed a, a woman, she was a Buddhist and she was like saying, look, it's not up to me. Like if I'm going to be born, I'm going to be die. It's like not in my hands. So she was saying exactly the same. So I think this human connection is, is, is really key for, for that the story works and, and that it triggers this spark. In the end, it's, it's about triggering a spark, a spark of like, okay, um, there is maybe something more than just 
like numbers and okay, that's it. And, and so that's what we try to understand. How can we trigger this spark? How many patients did you interview? You we know? interviewed over 30. I think online we have now 16. And what we started to do is now um, people can share their story by themselves over, over Instagram. So we try to like outsource the storytelling. And just like in October, we have our first workshop here in Zurich where oh. we try to understand how we can do a do-it-yourself uh, lab. That people, like how can we guide people to tell the story in a meaningful way? Because what happens in the cancer community, there are amazing stories out there, like so many good stories. But just because you have a good story doesn't mean that you are a good storyteller yet. You know, like you can learn that. You can learn to become a good storyteller. But um, again, it's a skill. Like just because you have a good story, it doesn't mean that in the first trial you, you tell the story in a way that it's compelling. And so that's what we try to solve this problem. How can we help people to tell the story in a compelling way? Awesome. Yes. And so that's, that's one, one side of the whole thing. And, and the other, and that's actually what I'm, what I'm working now on with Lydia also with the Cancer Survivorship Program is we want to run a mindset course for, for patients. Ooh. Like an, an online class, uh, some something simple with, with a Zoom connection that that is like mixing neuroscience, like, okay, what is going on in your brain? Why is it so hard to focus on the, on the positive? Why are we having always the negative focus? Like, how can you change your mindset? And then with a lot of, of practical tips and tools, like, okay, how you can do that? That would be amazing. Please record that so that people yes, can access definitely. it. Yes, because that's kind of a thing is like I'll see something which your your video was the first um, of any of the talks that I've ever been able to listen to because I'll see something in my email and I'm like oh I want to go to that or listen to that yeah. and then work happens or I'm not working mm -hmm. or something comes up so I think it's so important to have those kinds of things recorded like this will be recorded yeah. so we can share it because as I said people people are out and and as you said you can't read everything and get inspired by reading because it's hard yeah. to come up with time for that, especially if you have cancer and you're tired and weary and all of that. Um, and I think that's interesting because I've heard a lot about, you know, uh, support groups not might not be the best for every patient because you can kind of hear other patients that maybe are more stressed out. Like, as, I think it's kind of related to what you were saying. They, they, they might have a good story, but they're not good at storytelling yet. And so I feel like sometimes as you said, those stories may not click and maybe talking to another patient might, might elicit anxiety in you hearing about mm -hmm. what they are going through mm -hmm. or, or whatnot. So that's a very interesting. Yeah. Try to connect the correct story to the correct person to, to be inspired. And, so, and storytelling has, has different functions. Like there is also the function of offloading your story. Mm. So that's, that's a function for, for the, for the sender. Like, I have a heavy story and I just have to offload it somewhere. And after I offload my story, I feel light. And th that's very, very important. Um, but for the audience on the other side, the offloading, the, the offloaded story is not always what they are needing or what they are looking for. Yeah. And so there's a, mis a mismatch. So it is very important that people can offload and, and they find a space they can do that. But then we are not in a, in, a, in a place where we try to broadcast that offloading. 
maybe, you know, because it can have negative effects on others. And, and so we have to understand the different angles of, of storytelling and functions, like in a different moment has a different function for somebody. Mm, yeah. That's, I, you just, I feel like I, that same thing with movies, like somebody might not be in the mood for like a tragedy. That's always my mom. Yes. She's like, she's like, the couple needs to stay together in the end. I don't want to go to a movie where they break up. And like, yeah. she's just like, I want that movie ending. And that's why I'm here at the movies. And so, but that's so, obviously not everyone's taste. Yeah. Can you hear that like, sprinkler or can you? I'm fine. Okay, I, I don't hear Okay. <laughs> I'll go over oh, fine. Okay, so we have about eight minutes left, and then Instagram is gonna like cut us off completely. They'll yeah. shut us down. Um, what I would just love for, to give you the floor. Like, what is it that you want to say? Is there anything that we haven't touched on, or that you want to go back to? Hmm. Good question. Uh, first of all, I I really like this kind of format, and I think I I love what what also you do with your work of like trying to spread knowledge over digestible channels you know not mm -hmm. like trying to print flyers and 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 like just um use the new channels to to reach the people and the patients mm -hmm. so i think this is really 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 cool that you you do that um from the content i i don't know i think we we covered a lot when it when it comes to mindset i think what we should always keep in mind is um to be patient with ourselves, to be kind with ourselves. You know, like cancer is, is really hard, you know? So we don't have to be hard on ourselves additionally to that. Like it's, it's really hard and, and because it's so hard, it's okay to be not okay. And sometimes we see other patients and we see other survivors and, and they do so well and they seem so happy and, and, and we get stressed that we are not. And, and I think that's just, part of the story like like everybody has a backstory and and we have this, this tendency of just showing the front story where, where everything is shiny and and everything is uh, fine and i'm a survivor and strong and <laughs> i think it's not it's not it's not the full picture and 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 once we feel a bit like scared or empty or or tired we, we have to keep in mind that everybody has a backstory <laughs> not mm -hmm. just because they don't share it doesn't mean they don't have it. So, yeah, like self-love and being kind to to ourselves, I think is is really, really important if if you want to go through cancer. Definitely, I think it's actually really beautiful that you're still going through treatment because, as you said, there's so many like a Facebook story like, oh, I you know had pancreatic cancer, now I ran a marathon and I'm super healthy and cured forever. And it's like I think that's also maybe somewhat unrelatable to patients who are actually going through treatment like what mm -hmm. if they never get there um, but you're still able to inspire people and and help mm -hmm. patients and and caregivers change their mindset with where they're at now not and mm -hmm. that's not always you know cancer free and on the top of a mountain it's like in your everyday no. life like you said <laughs> and yes. your work is is really amazing as I said I had never heard anything like it before I feel like you just really nail something that's that X factor for a lot of patients and caregivers. And I think that just listening to your TED talk. So um, for if anybody, I'll share his TED talk link. I'm going to make a post. I have a post that's sure. um, how to survive cancer, basically. And you contributed to that. I'm definitely going to put your quotes that I love. And you had shared some sure. about when you were first diagnosed to just really like, don't bring emotional baggage with you into your treatment, but yeah. like, let yourself feel everything. But I'll also definitely include your TED talk, which I feel like is 
awesome for anybody whether or not that's your interest like it's it's a great story to hear and your research Thank project because you. you're still collecting you want people tell do a little plug yes. for your what's yes. your like collecting if, research. if somebody wants to share his or her experience i just quickly type the the, the social handle of um of um of the link yes. so when you go to my survival story there in the bio you find the link to our research study so yeah. you you can participate in in the research and you can watch some of our content and give us feedback and and tell us like okay um what do you feel like honestly like we want to hear your honest opinion um how to, long to see, would like, that take people if they want to 15 minutes 15 minutes yeah 10 to 15 minutes depends how how fast you're you're filling in the form and you can you can participate multiple times if you feel like so yes and, then and also, I participate or is that yes, of course. no it's also for for professionals and like uh, family members you can also share the link we're still looking for some more we have around 155 submissions now so we're looking for wow. 200 so okay we want to have a bunch let's get of, there martin yes let's get exactly. there i definitely think with all the oncology nurses and doctors and patients who are going to hear about this like let's get let's get to 200 and let us know when you do let's, let's keep fingers crossed Definitely. Well, yes. actually, I think I, is there anything else you want to squeeze in? Cause this would be. No, but maybe there are some questions from the audience. I don't oh, know. Yeah. It's my first Insta live. I, I don't know how this works, but normally I in know. the talks. People can answer uh, questions. If anyone has any, they can type them up now and we can squeeze an answer out of Martin. I kind of incorporated what I had been sent before. Cause I asked oh, okay. any questions before. Um, but we'll wait a minute to see if anyone has any last minute questions. Yes. And then the whole like goodbye thing is always, it's really abrupt. And it's just like, it's so just the life, the life ends on the hour. It's like, then it's finished after exactly yes. 60 minutes after you start. Yeah. It just, it's like, well, I'm not seeing anything, but I think you're pretty open yes. if people want to message you on Instagram sure. or, um, thank you so much, Martin. I really, or Dr. Martin, yeah. do you like to be Dr. Inderbitson? The Martin is perfect. <laughs> Martin I is cannot perfect. thank yeah, you enough for your time today yeah, and for prepping for all of this and for the work that you do. I think it's, it's so thank awesome. You. I love that Stanford has, has really, um, noticed how meaningful what you do is and that they're sharing it with us as providers because as I said, we, we haven't received anything like this before. So I think it's- You know, I also love that because I had such a hard time back here in Switzerland to pitch the idea. And, and I mean, I'm running this project since six years. And since I got like some positive feedback and collaboration with Stanford, it's much more easier here in, back in Switzerland to sell the idea. So for me, it's actually awesome. a blessing. To, yes, it's really, that really cool. Wonderful. Well, I'll have to get in touch with Lydia, whoever she is. And yes. Miriam Kwan, who works with me, says thank you for sharing your story and knowledge. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Martin. I'll be in touch yes, about the you. post, and then we pleasure. can share it all. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. Have thank a good you. evening. Good. Have a good day. Take thank care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.